0: Watch this. No
1: way! Hello, and welcome back to the Cookie Jar Golf podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Fitzpatrick, and today I'm joined by Sam Williams. Hello. And tour pro, coach, commentator, and all round good guy, Zane Scotland. Zane, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. How are you doing?
2: Very good. Thank you, guys. How are you all? Yeah,
1: good. Doing okay. Yeah, um, very delighted by the, the news that golf is back on in a couple of weeks. So, uh, yeah, starting to, to sharpen the tools and, and get ready to, to get back out there and get playing.
2: Yeah, I think uh, we've all played some good rounds in our heads over the last couple of weeks. So uh mm. yeah, now there'll be a you know a little bit of anxiety and nervousness over those uh, over that first swing, having not hit a ball for a month.
0: I've been oh, in there great in November. I've been in it absolutely brilliant. I shot sixty three last night Did in you? my head round our local track, yeah. Let it nice. go a little bit on the last few, but yeah. I thought, you know, without leaving the comfort of my own armchair, sixty three gross was pretty pretty good in my head. I was quite happy. Solid there. that. Yeah. Solid, yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. So yeah, but to tell the secretary, get the handicap down.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, new new system as well. Of course, that will be. Yeah. So not, not only a golf course is we're, we're going to have you know in, insanely high, unrealistic expectations when we go back, but we'll actually be able to potentially put in a card first round back, which is uh, scary stuff. But anyway, um, yeah, rolling into your stories, Zane. So you got exceptionally good at golf very, very quickly, um, playing in the Open at the age of 16 when you know sam and i were, were just doing our gcse's at that point or thinking of things that were totally insignificant in comparison so could you yeah just for the benefit of our listeners give us a an insight into like how you got started in the game and, and more than anything how you got that good so quickly really
2: yeah so uh, i started the game when i was like kind of 11 or 12 um my dad has started at the same time as i had so we got both got the golf bug very quickly, and going to the driving range. In my first two years of playing golf would have been going to the driving range two, three nights a week, putting on the carpet in the living room, being moved out to the hall because the carpet got worn out. <laughs> then, um, <laughs> you know, chipping in the garden if it was daylight, to playing golf before school. So we get up and tee off at like quarter past five in the summer, play nine holes, oh, back breakfast on wow. to school. You know, it was in, in, in a way, you know, if, if you were running that 10,000 hours, with well, a crash for ten thousand hours pretty quickly. To which then took me to um took me to teeing up in the open championship when I was uh, sixteen. So, you know, for, from kind of start to teeing up in a major I had like five years, which you know, seems like a really yeah. short time. Um but the That's amount crazy. of golf in that time there was loads. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was probably 10, 12 years crunched into like that five years. So, you know, there's a lot of lot of chat now about, you know, um you know performance practice you know and uh, you know quantity and not quality and so forth uh, so quality not quantity but in that early stage quantity is important um mm. to really get that get that work in so um yeah and that kind of led me into you know like i was supposed i'd just done my with just on my gcse's and then i was stuck just started sixth form college was doing uh, b-tech in a subject i can't even remember like now i think it was business studies but i was i was very much like just literally just ticking boxes just uh the only reason i was interested in school from about 14 years old was someone told me if you have good grades you can, you have the option to go to college in the states so that was my only motivation other than that i had no no thought in my head that i was hmm. not going to have a career in golf really but so, in two
0: years, like, the golf bugs gripped you really hard there, wasn't it, Zane? Where did that time. come from? Like, is it just you just – because it was with your father a lot, wasn't it, playing golf? So was that – was that just enjoying spending time with your dad and playing a lot of golf, or were you just were you just hooked by the game itself from the start?
2: In um, this it started by trying to spend time with my dad because I used to play football. He would come and watch my Saturday team, Sunday team, and all of a sudden he wouldn't come to the Saturday because he would play golf, and then all of a sudden – he was playing golf Saturday and Sunday then my sister or my mum was taking me to football so initially it was like I just want to hang with my dad so you know we're going caddy for him so I gave up football on the Saturday because that team wasn't quite as good like you know I can go and knock about my dad on the Saturday mm. and then and then you know I hit I remember my first golf shot and from that moment I was like, I was hooked and I was in and mm. then it just fit me perfect as a, as a person because I've not been an ov- overly I was ever an overly sociable person. I've always found football really frustrating because I've never never struggled to have drive in the sport that I've chosen. Uh, and I, but I found it really difficult to deal with someone else not putting one hundred and ten percent in something that I wanted to do. So then along came golf, and golf was like kind of looking around. And at this point, you know, as we go on, you knew you need a team and so forth. But at this point, I'm thinking are you telling me I just need like mm. some clubs and a ball and the rest mm. is me? Like this is my dream. Like there's only, yeah. you know, I've only got myself to answer for here. So that was, that was me hooked really. Cause I didn't need, yes, it was great to play uh, socially and I enjoy playing against my dad, but essentially it just means that, you know, for three hours after school, I could just go out into the garden and chip and make a little hole you know, make my own little hole on the slope and, you know, chip down mm. to the end and then putt or whatever it was. And um yeah, and golf really took that box for me, you know, it's just didn't have to wait for anybody else to go and do it, which is which is great. You know, if you're gonna go and play football, there's only so many times you can kick that ball at the wall for it to come back. You know, that that was yeah. that was my life to now. And all of a sudden had golf which was golf just, you know, gives you so many opportunities in so many different areas and so varied. Um yeah, it's it's kind of never ending, isn't it?
1: And when you look at that now, I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, you being like a you know really well-respected coach who coaches a lot of top players yourself and, uh, and having gone through, you know, the process of not only playing in the open, but going and having a successful European tour career. When you look back at that sort of 14-year-old you, do you look at the way you were kind of like playing and practicing and just think, wow, like, although I was actually just doing it for the kind of intrinsic joy that I was getting out of the game? I was actually going about it in a pretty like effective manner from like a sort of performance standpoint as well and and when you kind of got into I guess a little bit more coaching with county sides and maybe a bit of one-on-one stuff um did that just sort of really kind of allow you to to hit the higher levels of the game pretty quickly
2: Yeah I mean I was probably quite fortunate in that the environment that I played and practiced in and trained in really from when I was young was very good my my golf club had a lot had a good junior section hmm. of which uh, i think 11 11 of our generation went on to play professional golf or be professional golfers whether um i think uh, three of us played on the main tour others played mini tours and a couple of, you know become PJ professionals so that you know but i know that wasn't i mean there was probably a little bit of design you know my, my dad hmm. dad tried to get me into a good club with plenty of juniors but to be honest with you. We tried to get into all the clubs, and everyone said no because I was too young. You had to be fourteen. Really? Yeah, That's you mad. had to be fourteen That's years old. Um, you had to be fourteen years old to join the golf club. And um, the club I was playing at was a municipal club, which was like about forty-five minutes away right down in Kent. And they, they just didn't have a rule about juniors; they didn't have a junior section. So I was I was able to play. But all the local clubs, uh, we wrote letters, and they all just said no. it wasn't old enough. And then my, the one club that I did. Um, did end up joining uh, the junior organizer. His son had played on the tour, and you know you get called in for the meeting, and you know you're an 11 year old kid, and you have to wear a suit and tie uh, to go <laughs> for a, an interview. You know yeah. with these three old geezers, and um, and they asked me a few questions, and I was you know I can't remember what the questions were, but I just remember him saying to me saying, uh, "If anyone asks you, tell them you're 14," and I was 11, so I'm like. <laughs> yeah right So <laughs> that that you know that was that was it if he hadn't been there you know i would have been out in the wilderness as, as such really and for a couple mm. more years which is mental when you think about it now yeah. and then i guess you know kind of by luck i was kind of decent anyway so then i was always competing with like kids which, which were essentially probably a bit older than i was and so because golf takes over your life like you just find a way to compete um and everyone was very good and you know get, we got down to single figures and there was plenty of tournaments We had lots of matches against other clubs, so we got to experience different courses as well. So I think quite early on, between the age of, say, 12 and 15, I was quite rounded, really. I played on all different types of courses. Um, I played in junior opens. I I had someone to compete against, if need be, you know, uh, of a Mm. weekend. Summer holidays were just, like, you know, going at each other um, on the putting green, chipping comps, one club challenges, you know, it was just everything, and all those things. In when you look back, you go, "Yeah, that was being a, be, being able to go out for a, a one or three cup challenge for five holes in the evening, stands me in Riga stead because I'm I'm now a good shot maker. Mm, I know yeah. what to do. to It made things happen. I wasn't going mm. out there thinking, right, to be a pro, I've got to become a good shot maker. I just you know, you just um, mm. a product of your environment really, aren't you?
0: I remember playing so much junior golf and you do look back on it and you think, yeah, I mean, I I remember thinking, God, my my short game was so good when I was about 16. And then it was no wonder because I was basically playing 36-hole junior opens and then I'd spend about three hours on the chipping area with my mates for – afterwards exactly. and my mum be sort of waiting on the car park to collect me it's outrageous but the flippancy yeah. of the way you talk that through then zane of going 12 to 15 i was playing sort of you know against some older lads and you know they're in a bit further And i was playing a few junior opens and then you wind it on 12 months and you stood there carnoustie 1999 like that is outrageous so just tell yeah, us a little bit about that strange. experience that must have been surreal right
2: yeah so um i entered the the so there's pre qualifying and then there's final stage qualifying to get to get into the open and it's uh, I can't remember how many spots get through the first stage uh, at the second stage in those days it was like eight or ten spots and it used to, and the qualifying used to be on the Sunday and the Monday taking you into the week of the open so Tuesday morning you're on the right, uh, you're on the range at the Open Championship but if we rewind to the first stage the first stage so I was sixteen years old. I had my pal caddying for me, who was 14. And we arrived for a practice round at <laughs> Romford Golf Club in Essex. And I've got my my pencil, he's carrying my pencil bag. Mm. And you go in and it was amazing because it was the first time we showed up and they're like, oh, here's your book. And it was like, you know, the professional book with, you know, that someone's got made maid and put all the yardages from every hump on and every slope. And he, I'm looking at that thinking, oh, that's unbelievable, this. <laughs> and um, and so I've, I've gone and showed my pal. You know, my mate, Mikey, and he's got the one out at the pro shop. Like, it's not not a stroke saver, but it's something like that. You know, it's in colour. You know, it's got, it has got all looks nice on the pictures. And I said, oh, look at this amazing book they've given me. And he opens it up and he goes, oh, well, that's rubbish. <laughs> I'm looking at him going, what do you mean it's rubbish? Like, it's got everything on there. Like, this is the best thing we've ever seen. It's a professional yardage book. And he went, yeah, but look at it. It's not even in colour. <laughs> like, you know and then uh, and so, that, so yeah so we go to the first tee and there's a guy from tightness standing there and he's standing there and he's going here's your balls here's your um, I'm trying to think what we've been using then tightness professionals probably uh, and here's your gloves and you're like but I haven't got any money and he's like no no like these are yours like, like wow you know and to and be around and be surrounded by assistant pros and other professionals you think okay this is cool like these guys are all this is a different level Anyway, so um, I I was able to end up qualifying, but getting a reserve spot. So I got like 30th reserve at the final stage. Uh, But I'd been told that yeah, that probably gets in, which it does. Like you know, about 40 reserves get in. So I kind of went up to the qualifier um, with uh, with a couple of friends, one of them who had qualified, and um, and I I was practising that course called downfield, and. Because that's where he was, he had qualified my power. So I'd been there for mm. a couple of days. And then on the night before the first round, I got the phone call saying, Zane, you're in. Uh, Sergio Garcia had won the Irish Open, which exempted him into the Open Championship. Which was when he first came on the scene. So I, essentially, I took Sergio's spot and that's got to brilliant. play with um, Robert Allenby and uh, another guy called Stuart Smith. Stuart Smith, that was also a, a qualifier. Robert Allenby was in off the, because he was Robert Allenby, basically, because he was a good player. <laughs> and, um, and there probably was a bit. There's a bit of fortune that they said, oh, "Oh, and the course that you're at is the course you've been practicing at for two days." And I was like, "Oh, okay, that's cool. That's that's great." So you know, on on you go. When I look back, um, I had a really good friend, a guy called Michael Lunt, who became essentially became captain of the RNA in his later years. He's passed away now. He was a great Britain Island selector.
1: He's a member of our home club. Mm, yeah. Michael Lunt's a member yeah. of Blackwell. Yeah.
2: There you go. Yeah. yeah. So he's, and he was a member at Walton yeah. Heath, and I played at Walton Heath, mm-hmm. and he was a, and he was always really good to me. And he he was the delegate at Downfield. So now I look back and I go, yeah, he's he's manufactured that that I got that course, you know. But at the time, you know, oh, this is lucky, you know. Yeah. But you know, yeah. there were things going to
0: play. <laughs> You're just like, oh, well, that's that's okay <laughs> yeah, me, yeah, but exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the whole qualifying experience from there was, was quite. That was. I remember probably more of that than my actual playing in the open, just because I was playing with Robert Allenby, and mm. I remember, um, I remember, I skied it off the first hole. There were loads of people watching us, and I was nervous, and you know, can't you can't feel your arms, and you know, I didn't have any practice balls because you had to bring your own balls. I didn't have any, so I was like, okay, so I just, you know, a couple of putts and the way you go, skied it off the first, made a par, got round to about this, and then on the like, the fourth hole. He got cross at me and had a go at me because I'd walked on his through line. And I'm like, what's a through line? I look at my dad, like, what's a through line? Never heard of that. Thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm a kid, but, you know, he's he's, he's a big-time tour player. But luckily, I was young enough to be just be like, you know, you're used to people telling you off when yeah. you're that age. So yeah. you're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. It didn't, didn't bother me at all. Mm. Um, now, um, now it might be a bit different. You, know, you end up getting a bit of a scrap on the 50 or something. Um <laughs> Yeah, and then then actually, I, I, I kind of semi shanked a wedge shot on the sixth hole. It's bar, not like.
0: sounding good, this so far, Zane. No, no, it? It's not sounding like holes, right? exhibition in ball striking.
2: It's amazing, yeah. right? Exactly, right? So, and this, this is the bit I think we can all relate to. Like, so, I shanked it, right? So, I shanked, I semi shanked it on, on the sixth hole, this wedge shot. And it was probably the best thing that could have happened to me because then I no was just like, well, pff, doesn't get any worse than that, does it? <laughs> like, come on, like, We have got nothing to worry about now. Anyway, chipped and putted and then proceeded then to have the next, you know, 30 holes of my life, really, Um, Mm. you know, kind of made everything I looked at and, you know, kind of didn't look back. And yes, I was nervous, but there was, I wasn't thinking about the gravity of qualifying for the open. I was just nervous because I was playing golf, you know, Mm. because I was just playing alongside Robert Allenby. I, I wasn't overly thinking, I wasn't at the time thinking about getting into the open. Previous to that, Maybe a bit of naivety, or, 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 you know, or maybe how you should think. It was, oh, my, my, going into it, I was like, yeah, I can qualify for the Open. I've only got to shoot under par three times. Pre qualifying, you got to shoot under par. Mm. If you, if you shoot 36 was both under par, you probably got a chance of getting in. That was my, that was my, my actual mindset. But when I was playing, I wasn't thinking that. I was obviously nervous from the situation I was mm. in playing get playing alongside a top tour pro. Um, I was nervous from that point of view, but yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and bang, and then you're in. Um, I think and I it's finished like The next,
1: day, the next yeah. day, you head down to, to Carnoustie.
2: Yeah, you're there. I mean, I finished fourth. I remember watching Paul Laurie hold a 40 footer across the last screen to get in on the mark. So he qualified days,
0: at downfield as well, did
2: he? He qualified downfield. He binned it from 40 feet on the last to get in, like, last spot. Wow. And then seven days later, and then he went, went to the win. jug. Unreal. The jug. That's what the
0: Open's about. That's why it's such uh, a brilliant tournament, yeah. is you know, No one that's... ever
2: even mentions that, which is, mm-hmm. which is crazy. So, yeah. yeah. So then the next thing, um, yeah, Tuesday morning, yeah, you're on the range. I'm, you know, I've got Greg Norman in front of me, Darren Clark behind me. But – You know, if I'm super honest, I was almost, I felt that more comfortable in that situation because because I'd just sat and watched golf like five years and these are the guys I watched and I was just thinking at that point, I was just thinking, well, I've qualified, they're here, I'm here, this is what you're supposed to do. You know, like yeah. that's... That you that moment so yeah. yeah. like You're too young, your aren't
0: you, I suppose, to really compute it. If it was Last Chance Saloon for you, you'd probably almost, you'd be more brittle, wouldn't you, I suppose?
2: Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if it was, I think now it'd be kind of different because you'd be like, you know what, none of these guys, uh, in my head, I, my, my approach to it now, or having played since, I played in 2010 at St Andrews, but, you know, my, my mindset was completely different there because it was just like, you know what, we professionals these guys don't care what I do. I don't actually care what they do. You know, mm. I'm here to, to do my thing and just, you know, and you're, you're focus to put in the performance. You know, when, when I was young, you know, I just thought that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to hit balls next to Greg Norman. You know, it's it's that sort of, I've you're watching me at the show my dad's like, look, it's Greg Norman. I'm thinking, you yeah, know, I watched on TV last week. I know exactly how he swings it. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah. I just want to hit these brand new balls someone's just put in front of the beach, You know, yeah. Yeah, to a driving range. the of <laughs> literally like yeah. can i get some new clubs from this company yeah. um oh, can we yeah, ask exactly. about the
0: clubs can we ask about the club sorry to sorry yeah to go. i heard that there was a bit of a, a funky setup that week Wasn't oh yeah all sorts so, of random stuff in there
1: yeah some so tinkering in the workshop and uh, yeah you know.
2: <laughs> so this is it now right we live in this this day and age of um club fitting and you know everything has to be perfect but my I say, but my club fitting for um for the Open Championship was I'd had a putter, a Scotty Cameron putter that I'd swapped after in the, uh, at lunchtime of a county game from the foursomes to the singles with a pal the week before, just like okay, we'll, we'll we'll switch those out. Okay, fine. And then I had wedge I had some wedges, of a, a pitching wedge and a sand wedge that I had won in a junior Open. Uh, the Henry Cooper Junior Masters, uh, I won that, so I won some wedges um, as the prize. So they went straight in the bag. Uh, I, I remember <laughs> having the, 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 you know, the, uh, just the original grips on them and the whippy shafts. Um, and then my irons were my dad's irons uh, that I I, I I would borrow. Sometimes I'd for the big tournaments, I'd borrow my dad's clubs because I would kind I of need something a little bit stiffer. So I borrowed those off uh, off the old man. So that was great. Um, and then I had um, I had a three-wood. Three-wood was a great club. It had like this steel R300 dynamic gold shaft in it. And that was another one I swapped with my power in junior medal about a month before. And it had a <laughs> nasty little Torac grip on it. But I knew you but if you swung it really it the close, well, yeah, that honestly, good. <laughs> if you swung it like really slowly, because it was so whippy, it just went off like a rocket. So I had that. And then, um, and then my driver was a tight list, that, that 975D driver with the EI 70 shaft, but I cut it, I cut it down like about an inch and a half. So it was really light and it had a rattle in it. So I didn't really like hitting it very much. So I would hit three with everywhere. So that was kind of my like, um, That was my very specialist bag.
0: I mean, Carnoustie is a pretty straightforward course as well, isn't it? So, you know, it's not like you need to have your equipment dialed or anything that week, I wouldn't have thought. No,
2: exactly, exactly, yeah. And then you you finish
1: Go on. So you you were hitting sort of a smooth kind of 60% knockdown three wood off the first. Then you go full bore on the irons because they were stiff. But then the wedges, again, they're a little bit whippier. So you just had to, to dial it back there a little bit as well.
2: Yeah, pretty much. I think, you know what, actually, I reckon, I reckon tightness actually gave me a new driver from memory because I remember it. I just, I didn't even use it. I barely used it in the qualifying and I <laughs> took it to them. They kind of laughed. They gave me a, a, they just gave me a, you know, one that was not cut down and didn't rattle, <laughs> but it was a similar spec sort of thing. That so way. that this went straight, you know, that went straight in the bag. No questions. There was no monitors. You just, if you could hit it, you hit it and it, okay. Yeah. I kept it on the driving range. That's in the bag. That was it that was testing over.
1: And I mean, the open's a bit of a funny one because I guess, you know, if you go back to 19th century, I'm sure young Tom Morris qualified when he was 12 years old or something, because, you know, there's, there's reduced field sizes and that kind of thing. But that must've been a pretty, you know, awesome story at the time you qualifying at the age of 16. I guess it's, it's probably still the youngest qualifier, certainly in, in, in recent times. Um, is that, is that correct?
2: Yeah. So, as I understand it, I'm the youngest qualifier. So I'm the youngest person to go for the qualifying for mm. the Open. So yeah, Tom Ball was younger. I think actually Sergio Garcia may have been younger, but he had he was exempt because he paid in the because he won the European Amish Championship. Yeah. yeah. So okay. I think he was possibly younger. But to go for the mm. qualifying, yeah, that was the case. But yes, there there was a lot of like attention. Um, and now I look at it, I go yeah, that's cool because it probably right. So at the time, I was you know I didn't really understand it. I was just thinking. Mm. I was here like everybody else. Is this not what we were supposed to do? Like we're all trying to yeah. qualify, right? That was my mindset towards it, and um, and yeah, and it probably it probably helped my confidence more than my self confidence more than anything because you know to yeah. to that point I was you know being relatively shy, you know just getting on doing my own thing, and then all of a sudden you know having to do interviews, having a camera in your in your face, and and so forth. But you know, kind of shielded by family during that experience of the week. Mm kind of helps a little bit or a lot, actually. Um, uh, yeah, it was, at the time, it was you know, all goes over your head. In hindsight, you think, actually, yeah, that, quite, that was quite a big deal at the time. Yeah, definitely.
1: And so, I mean, you obviously, you know, um, tasted success in, in golf really, really quickly and, and went on to to have a, a you know a really successful career on the European Tour. Um, but I'm, I'm curious as to, like, when you're interested in, teaching um, sort of arose because I think a lot of our listeners now will, will will have seen your you know following on Instagram and the the tour players that you coach and I think it's quite an interesting sort of um, contrast in a way of that kind of carefree kid who was just you know playing with a, a mixed bag of clubs and and kind of just almost that that mantra of hit it go find it and hit it again to someone who actually now looks at the swing in quite a lot of detail and with quite a bit of precision. So could you maybe give us a little sort of potted history as to, as to how that came about, Zane?
2: Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I, I then I turned pro when I was uh, 21 or so 2021. And then I'd had injury at a car accident. So I was injured for the kind of the first probably like five years of my professional career, having a lot of time off and mm. and, and back to school. So I was playing a little bit, but not full time. And then I, then I got fit and got my tour card quite quickly. So I got I pre-qualified for the French Open and then was able to get enough, do well enough there to get into the Deutsche Bank the following week and then was able to then get a couple more invites off the back of some good performances, which ended up I ended up getting my card off of about six starts, um, which, was, which was really cool, which got me a full, full exempt status for the next year. Yeah. The next year I started out and I was, I was playing okay, but not, not amazing, not great. I had I went into that winter and I played a fade that first year. I had a, a small fade. Um, had a, had a golf lesson from John Jacobs. I had a coach. I had a coach at the time, and John Jacobs came to open one of his facilities, and um and part of the opening was a clinic. And he he um uh I was there hitting balls, and he was going to give me a small lesson. There were a few, you know, probably fifteen twenty people there at this opening, and um I was I was hooking it. I was like, kind of getting stuck underneath it hitting like you know heavy sort of draws sort of thing i couldn't fade it and he said what do you want to do i said i want to fade it and so he, he couldn't receive really see very well so he said you, you got to dis- describe to me what the ball was doing and he was sat on his seat and i'd hit the shot and it would like it would draw so then he said okay what i want you to do i want you to put the club back into the right i was like okay yeah at, at address and then i want you to swing inside and then hit a fade. So you have to swing over it, clear your left hip, and hit a fade. And I did that a few times. Went now hit a normal shot and I just ripped it like dead straight. And um and that's what and that was my feel for a whole season. And I took that feel and um and I was I think I was top five in the Greens in reg that year, and that was the year that I got my card. That that's that winter, so I'd very much become a fader in like one season. Then that winter, the coach I was with was like, Oh, we've got to get you drawing it you know, and probably a bit of naivety. Now it would be completely different at the time. I was like, mm. this guy already coaches tour players and winners. I'm just going to do what he said. And so we set off down a path across that winter, trying to draw it, come out at the beginning of the next year. Game wasn't the same. The game, game what had felt so easy in, you know, seven felt more difficult in eight. And I'd made a couple of cuts, but it just wasn't, it wasn't the the same. And then, that just set me down a road of just hitting loads of balls and trying to find, trying to find it in the dirt as such, trying to Mm -hmm. find the recipe I had from the previous year, but it had gone. And, um, I ended up fracturing my wrist in that process. Um, and then having what I thought was me three weeks off, ended up being like a year off. And then when I came back again, I'd kind of got in contact with a couple of other coaches in the meantime. um, you know, nothing kind of sat. I went over to Germany and visited visited a coach there, but you know, distant, and he was a real off the wall character. You needed to like kind of live everything he spoke about, really. And I wasn't in that place. You know, what I mean, to, to go ahead mm-hmm. and do that. And then and then I um then I got in touch with or was put in touch with a guy called Matt Belsham, who uh, who was very close with uh, Mac Grady, and they had. Mm-hmm. I did a bit of work with Matt. He helped me with my game saw some small improvements didn't really it was very technical i'd gone from being not a technical player not knowing Mm -hmm. anything about my golf swing at all to having been thrown into like one of the uh the morad coaches who was like all technical um Mm -hmm. and it was it's great but it was it was mind-blowing and then i i got to go on one of the morad golf schools um, which Matt comes over and you spend three days, morning till night, writing notes. I've like been back in the classroom writing notes, um, discuss- discussing different theories, and you know, going more into the intellect of golf as opposed to just the intuitiveness of golf. Mm. And it was great in hindsight as a player, where I was kind of between the European Tour and the Challenge Tour, I was trying to find my way back again. Um, it's probably the worst thing I could have done. I wouldn't I would, in, in hindsight, if I had to reverse my time, I wouldn't have done it. Um, as my playing point of view, from a mm. coaching point of view, it's good. Cause it did start to get me thinking about mechanics and mm. how, how they stand you in good stead. And they give you that, that backup when things are going bad. How do you put it back again? You know, how, mm. uh, when you play golf, for th- tournament golf for three weeks, like it or not, your swing is going to regress. So where do you start to stop it from regressing as far and then and then also, how do you, when it has regressed, how do you get it back up to where it needs to go? There needs to be a system and a plan to that. Yeah. It can't be random. You can't try stuff out and hope it sticks. Well, you can, but if you want to make money at the game, you can't do that. <laughs> you won't be making money for very long doing that. Um, and then, so, yeah, so that was, that was kind of 9 2010, that sort of period. Right. Um, and it probably took me… It's an interesting one.
1: Sorry, just to just to piggyback on of what you said there, that he, he's—it's a fascinating story—the kind of the the, the Morad stuff that you mentioned there, because um it's kind of making a bit of a comeback at the moment. I think in, in golf instruction that we see online and social media, and he's kind of got this sort of like mythical sort of status really in golf. When you hear guys yeah. like Dana Dalquist talking about being excommunicated from like the sort of Morad fraternity, yeah. And, um, just to dive out. in on that a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, was it when you were learning it and you look back at it now as a coach, is it like, wow, okay, that was like pretty cutting edge stuff sort of for its time. And, and the way he went about dissecting the golf swing, that's, that's a pretty complete analysis really from a coaching standpoint.
2: For, for, his, for his time, he was yeah. so far ahead of everybody else. Like, he, you know, he was way pre-launch um, month data and so forth. For his time, he was like moons and moons ahead of everyone else. Now people have caught up and, um, there's a, there's a lot more synergy on, on what is the code of uh, of striking the ball, you know, to make mm-hmm. it go far and straight. But in that time, like no one, no one could touch him. Everyone had these yeah. theories, but he was a guy mm-hmm. which, if you questioned him or, you didn't. You weren't sure about something. He had he had research and he had re- really great explanations to back up and data to back up what he was talking about. Oh, it wasn't the voodoo yeah. coaching of like you know, strengthen you know, strengthen your grip or head down, left arm straight. It wasn't that sort of voodoo yeah, coaching? Yeah, like, not yeah, straight up. Matter
0: the yeah. academy then. Wasn't quite. Yeah. The same. Like, oh, yeah, the yes, a bit. Quick. Whoa! <laughs> hang on. I'm not an expert. I, I'm not an expert. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Um, so so even if even if, like if you could I think before that, if you find something difficult, you couldn't do it. You go, that doesn't work. Whereas mm. if you found something difficult, you couldn't do it. He would go, you just can't do it, and mm. this is why. Like, there's yeah. there's there's a difference. There's a difference there. So that was that mm. was uh, a real eye opener. Yeah, he was multi, and I think, and he's now set, he he was like kind of a he was a pioneer, to, and he's done more for golf coach knowledge, maybe not the marketing of it, but golf like. You're talking about led there. lead, um, put golf coaches on the map. He, mm-hmm. you know, with with his marketing, and he, he did have a lot of success, a lot of the world and ones. But he put golf coaches and brought money to the industry for the marketing part of it. And he was mm-hmm. obviously a very good coach. Mac has done more for the um, for the understanding and the info and the data. You know, he's he's that version of that. You know, but I wouldn't say he's a master marketeer. I mean, master marketeer in terms of Creating a mistake, and everyone wanting yeah. to like, think he's got some sort of magic about what he's mm. what he's put together. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of golf coaches I've got got Mac to thank for um, with his you know with his perseverance uh, to mm. to try and you know unravel some 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 of the voodoo that was being put out there. Um, which I think probably took me to like, like, like us all really from, from the pain of not being able to do it ourselves. You you take, go to the next level. That's how it worked for me. When I, when I came back from my injury and I couldn't, like I couldn't find my game that sent me down the technical route. And then that sent me on this path to be Mm. like, why was I so good? Not knowing anything, which which seems great. Right. So should I go, Oh, you're best not knowing anything. But the problem was, was when it drifted off, I couldn't put it back. Now, if I knew, If I knew knew then what I know now, you know you would go okay. It was this piece and this piece, and I could carry on and continue to perform the way I was performing, Um, you know. And then that become that became my journey to be like right. If there's a player, from working with a good player, I want to keep them as clear and as free as possible. Yeah. But I need to know why. What makes them good, and then over time help them understand what makes them good, and get help them understand when it drifts off, like we all do. What are the keys that fit you to put it back again, and not try and cram yeah. everything into one golf lesson? Like you know, like mm-hmm. just don't, so, so they, they do enough at a time and have a bit of patience, really.
0: So, is the as yeah. the maybe the straight man in the group here at the three of us who's not a. Like a, I'm not a student of the golf swing in the same way that Bruce is, and obviously I don't teach like you do, Zane, so I'll teach at all for that matter, and nor should I. Um, <laughs> you haven't seen If you want to see how outside the line I am, honestly, it's, it's atrocious. Um, do you feel like, in going into the detail that you did with things like the Matt O'Grady stuff, that's helped, have you helped almost sort of build out your own sort of brand and ethos and thinking around the golf swing, then do you see yourself now as having maybe your own kind of spin on you know maybe the physical force of the swing but then also how to apply it at an elite level as knowing kind of coming from that 16 year old you that was doing it intuitively and then taking you know what is very very heavy dense theoretical stuff about the swing has that kind of helped you almost get to a point where you feel like you've got your own sort of outlook on the swing for yourself now or
2: yeah i think that i'm able to able to understand um how to hit how to hit different shots and um what makes those shots beyond someone just having talent and be able to make it happen mm. and be able to raise that so and and also it's got me away from just bs coaching just giving someone the line because they've hit three shots in a row good and you see it you know i've seen it uh firsthand you know and this is not even just just a good teaching a good player, um, or a full time player, this is like even a hobby player. I've got, you know, friends that go get lessons at places and I'm thinking, game hasn't changed, but they just pay they pay for a guy to tell them mm-hmm. that was a good shot. Yeah, that that was different. And it wasn't. The intention might have been different, but the old thing is exactly the same. So what the 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 macro grady um start and then and then being around, you know, spent quite a bit of time with, like say, like Claude Harmon, who's completely, very much, a, a, you know, their, their ethos is much more man management. You know, I've, yeah. I've been in Better programs in the past. Uh, Scott Cranfield, who was not a technical coach at all. He he was the basis of my coaching. I guess I put, I put, I try and put all those together. And I just don't, I'm more than happy to say to somebody, I don't know about that part. But mm. I'll tell you what I do know. I don't like to not, not bs yeah and I, you know i can't kind of see it as my my it's my job to take the burden to go and find out but i don't know i will going to find out for you rather than the player having taken that burden because i had that i as a player I took on the burden of trying to work it all out and it didn't work out for me and mm. and there's a couple of things it's not enjoyable because that's not why i got into golf I got into golf to, to compete and play it was an ordinary energy is now somewhere else um and so, and then the next part is, is trying to find a system to like, you know, the systems all around us. So we're trying to find a system to, mm. to get, getting better or maintaining your, um, maintaining your performance. So, you know, that, and that's, I think method as a word gets, gets thrown around. Like, do you have a method? Like methods, it does sound a little bit one track system is a bit different because that's, that's a, yeah. that you can take in a bit more. You can you can adapt your system to fit somebody. You have a system of, of, of how you get somewhere. Like how do you start a session? So like when I, I give a lesson, like like um, uh, Bruce would have seen, like you know you're going to spend the first 10, 12 balls working out the ball flight and be honest with yourself, find out where that is. Then spend the next section going, okay, why is that happening? Then the next section is going to be, okay, so how can I change that? What are the drills are going to do? These are the drills. And then the last part of the session is implementing those drills and getting that ball to to change and then the very and then the closer to it really is going to be okay what am I going to do going forward what are my expectations like to make a swing change we would love to say that you can make a swing change in a session with somebody you can get them you can get somebody to make a different move it can look different in the picture to where it it started but the the real crux of it is that can you get that person to stick with this for three months Mm so that they do it without thinking about it you know that's the yeah. that is the tricky thing we'd lo- I'd love to say i can make a, a swing move in one session but it's not it's not reality
1: yeah no i mean so much of what you say there i mean definitely resonates with me as the pod sort of resident tinkerer and and uh, someone who experiments with it i mean <laughs> i think i you make a good point there about how the stuff that you're learning you know with the, the macro grady stuff and delving into the maybe the you call the sort of science of delivery or the science of the golf swing can be really helpful uh, to a coach, but it can be quite debilitating at times for a player. And I think the, the one counter I'd say to that, I think is in my own personal game, at least when I've got on the most off track, looking back is when I've thought like, I thought I knew a lot about the golf swing and actually it was based on sort of kind of unfounded, um, beliefs that turned out to be pretty kind of one dimensional, or as you say, you know, sort of swing feel for the day, just throw something at it Mm. and maybe it works for a week or a month, but then actually you kind of have to go back to the drawing board, sort of scratch your head. And it's, it's actually pretty crushing, I think, for your morale when you're not actually sure entirely what it is Mm. that you need to improve in your swing. But when you go and see someone like Mac, I guess, and you're able to like, look at it objectively and say, well, I know this information's like, correct. I know it's like, right that trust in a way if you can stick with it and and kind of get a team around you that you can kind of stick with that that can kind of liberate you to then go on and maybe kind of get back to the sort of intuitive 16 year old kid who who's carefree and can can trust what they're working on um if that makes sense
2: yeah it does make sense i mean only from from my own point of view i still i still like to play um i've had Mm. kind of a bad back for the last kind of four years and i'm trying to get it better because i still like i'm still like to compete a little bit going forward you know i don't i don't want to be a full time player um mm. in the very in the very near near future i would like i like to play because i enjoy playing golf if i then start to shoot um 63s like sam did during lockdown mm. all the time every round yeah. i <laughs> would soft like self belief you
0: know, <laughs> is the key to that saying you've just got to really believe <laughs> Believe in your own ability. <laughs>
2: um, you know, if, if, that, if, that, if that took me back to some sort of playing, then fantastic, right? But I'm, I'm not sitting here thinking my, my world is about uh, playing golf. But the the coach Zane and the golfer Zane are two completely different people. I, I've tried to coach myself, and I just I like the next person. And if I'm left mm. to my own devices for two hours of, like, I'm just going to hit some balls and see what happens, I will... I'll battle hard to go against the, the going down like uh, the 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 narrative of trying about eight different trying something for, for ten shots, then hit three bad shots. Go now, it's not that, and then go to the next bit, and then yeah. and then uh, I know this and I know that, as opposed to getting one of someone I trust, have a look and go look. What do you see? Let's be objective here. It's this, this, and this, and I'll do yeah. it now. Like I, I go to practice today. And I've done a little bit of work with um with, with a pal of mine and also with a, a 3D specialist. And I just look across, back across some of the notes and I go, right, I've got those three things to get onto. And it's really difficult mm. because when you don't hit a very good shot, you think, oh, it didn't work. But getting that mindset of going, no, these are my three things. Keep working on it. Because we, we, yeah. we can always whack it on YouTube or Instagram or yeah, something yeah. Mm. and find something new to work on. It's yeah, just there's just so much crap shit. out
0: there, isn't there? There's just so much shit online that's just – and it's all conflicting,
2: right? Uh, yes, yeah. there's, there's, there's hmm. There is there so much crap, but there's also much, so much good stuff. Hmm. But how it's relevant to you. And you've got no way of from
0: if you're me, you can't actually exactly. pick between what's good and what's bad. How, how do your exactly. players – like you're working with people like Todd Clements, right? So you talked there about the player zane and the coach zane are two very different people. I guess that's got challenges on either side of the fence, doesn't it? Both for you – trying to help those guys and then those guys trying to get help from you, that must be quite hard to pick between.
2: Yeah, I mean, from my point of view, it's, for me, it's, the only difficulty for me is when I go play, to snap out of like, my coach head and go into playing head. So the playing head, so, uh, Justin Parsons, who's a, who's a Northern Irish guy, used to work at the Harmon in Dubai. He now works at Sea Island and he works with quite mm. a few PJ tour players. And he was on the bag for Louis Oosteys this week. And he was saying that, um, he was kind of saying that he was amazed at how little information, little technical information is relevant to a player when, uh, during playing, playing time. And that's me. Like, so with all the, with all these like technical things in my head, that I actually, I just, you know, all ratified, this it's actually, it's all cool, good info, but what, at what time is it relevant? Mm. You know, how do you, how do you even, uh, how do you put it in? How long is it going to take to happen? Like, it's difficult mm. for me to snap out of it and go, you know what? Um, I'm just going to be a player today, which actually means giving up all this all this knowledge that I have. That's actually no good to me at all. That's just going to make me shoot three over.
0: And I think try I think that's where it's good, isn't it? It's the realization of the maybe the mental side of the game and the you know, the mechanics of the golf swing. And we've had um, a guy called Gio Valiante on the pod before, who's a mental mental coach and has worked with some of the world's best. And he talks we call a lot.
1: Psychologist, don't we, Sam?
0: Did I call him a psychiatrist? <laughs> you said you said mental coach but yeah i think that's a fair it's term.
1: fair no, it wasn't he <laughs> saying
0: he's a mental coach is he's uh he's it could not, be
2: mentally, it could be a mentally good coach as well. yeah,
0: let's not try and bring bring each other down on this part um but he talks a lot about staying free and you know playing sort of flow state golf and kind of unshackling yourself from conscious thought and just being in the zone just like we all were when you when you're young and you're playing great golf and i think there's a lot to be said for that. The, one, the other thing I wanted to ask about, Zane, was probably some of the stuff, things like TrackMan and some of the stats out there. How much for you as a coach has that shifted, the way that you can coach, that you can teach the game versus, you know, 20 years ago? Do you still rely a lot on sight and looking at a player's ability and kind of just, just looking at the mechanics of the swing? Or do you find, has that moved coaching on significantly now, kind of the availability of the data?
2: yeah it's moved coaching on significantly but i think the the first part is is that what we chatted about earlier it's got rid of all the bullshit so you can't you can't fudge things anymore yeah. you need to like if you if there's something you gotta be able to back it up otherwise don't say it because if you go yeah. on twitter you'll get rinsed so <laughs> that's the that's the first yeah. part which is which is great um mm. uh, the understanding of how to hit shots is so much better like um so how to hit a draw or a fade or something like that. Like the difference now, like we're we're seeing good golfers and good young golfers come out. It's because like, we actually know what, what we actually know the, um, the formula to, to, to play good golf now. Like we don't have, we have the formula to how to hit it far. Like, like mm-hmm. as, as we all know now, like let's talk about speed and distance um, to, to, to play on tour. Mm-hmm. You know, we we pretty much know there's we, we're getting to the point where it's like, yeah, going forward, you know, you're going to have to swing at like 114 miles per hour mm. um, on a on a you know on a on a radar on a radar technology, which then equates to like um, 119 on a on a camera. It's so like for, so, for instance, like so um, to to detail, like on a GC quad, which is camera based, and that measures cuphead speed differently to say TrackMan, which is radar based, because mm. the GC quad is measuring. Uh, the clubhead speed at point of impact, whereas because the trackman's behind the ball, it's it's uh, ma- measuring the club at post impact uh, after the collision. So then, so then, if someone says you have got to swing at one hundred and fourteen miles per hour, we're now at a point where we're saying, well, swing at, at one hundred and fourteen miles per hour on which machine? Because if you do it on the quad, yeah. basically, if, if you do it on if you do it on the quad, mm-hmm. you're not going to make it. And if you do it on the trackman you are going to make it. But yeah. that's like the all these figures we like working out now, which is which is great, you know um mm. but you know how do we if to actually do really well you got to blend that with the uh, with just like with the bit of that like, the good old like i'm just going to see it and do it so um at a, at a tournament i would i probably i wouldn't really use um a radar or but data too much club data um and it would be more on the eye on the sound on the on the on the strike that the field um a strike and the field that the player is producing um you, and, and then and and then ball data numbers but I wouldn't necessarily get too much into like exact club data because you need to give them a feel to something they can actually do if I, if you just said to somebody oh um and they've had a bad day and they're not driving it very well um yeah just feel like you get your pressure your pressure trace going more you know at, at sixteen degrees towards towards your little little turn on your left foot earlier between p four and p uh four point seven. It's
0: not easy to implement that.
2: You can't stand the first team do that. It's very hard to (laughs) implement. Yeah. Yeah.
0: uh,
2: uh, It sounds like you've tried. It doesn't work, does it? It's just like
0: Bruce (laughs) chucks me mid round when he's under the pump.
2: So just start commenting on
0: divots. The divots need to be more shallow, Sam. Just kind of (laughs) rotate through P five, that's what you need to do.
2: But in a in a studio environment. Yeah. In a studio environment like away from it. Yeah. Yeah, mm. fine, like, let's get into that and let's see if we can move that but actually what what we what the player really needs is he's getting a bit quick, bit quick, little bit little bit quick in transition on a Wednesday than he was on the Monday because you arrive on the Monday at the tournament it's so mm. everyone's all chilled, all ripping it, this is great isn't it? Mm. And then by the time you get to Wednesday hit one bad shot and it's like what happened there, what happened there, what did I do, what did I do? And it's like your transition was a little bit better, it was a little bit different and the cup face was just like two degrees open so like what can you do? Let's just smooth out the transition. Okay, yeah, that was a good shot. And that is, when you go to the first hole, you can't be thinking about your pressure trace, but you can think about, okay, let's get the rhythm yeah. going, you know, complete my turn, those sort of things. So it's like, it's not one or the other. It's all it's all these things at the right times, which mm. which is why, like Justin Rhodes, for instance, you know, parted from Foley and he changed clubs. He's now gone back to the old clubs Twice. and he's gone back yeah. to Foley. <laughs> Yeah, you know, because you know what, give give Sean Foley that stuff to worry about, and they can just be a yeah. player.
1: Well, yeah, that's where I was going to say. I think um, Bryson is quite interesting, or even Tiger actually, from that standpoint, because Tiger seems to be coaching himself at the moment, um, and and how he's able to balance, you know, clearly like a pretty high level understanding of the golf swing, which I think you know he he probably gave us more of a peek behind the curtain than we've ever seen before in a recent golf digest video where he commented on. Um, swings of viewers that they just sent in and it seemed like like he had actually Mm -hmm. quite a pretty good grasp but at the same time was able to distill it down into pretty simple feels and thoughts Um, whereas i mean i guess with bryson and you mentioned justin rose there like like bryson just seems so technically minded and even the way he talks about sensitivity to error or you know uh yeah weird weird turns of phrase like that you're like wow how on earth do you go and balance like all that information with going out and just trying to play in a major when you've got yeah. expectation of the mean, world on you.
2: I think, I, well, Bryson, is he's got two coaches, really, um, long-game mm. coaches. He's got Mike Shire and he's got Chris Como. So as much as he'll give it all the chat, there will still be a moment where one of the coaches will go, like, just do that one piece. Or, yeah. or, 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 you know what, he'll go, right, I'm thinking about these five things and they'll work through them and he'll go, no, not that one. What about this one? No, not that one. And the third one would be a, yeah, maybe a bit of that. Next one, not that one. You know that that's that part mm. of it. Um, and then with Tiger, I think there's some sort of conspiracy going on. There's no, <laughs> I'm I'm not having it. That well, he's not talking to gonna... someone about his golf swing. He, Can we put you, uh, you on?
0: this? Can we go on this? Go with
2: it. Let's see what he says. <laughs> <laughs>
0: This is going to be on a Golf Monthly yeah. article now. We'll be writing... Be he's talking stuff tonight. He Bruce bounces on his <laughs>
2: ideas. You know, the geezer's human, and, um, which, we, which we know now, and it, he's bounced his ideas off somebody. But I think that... I mean, the thing for... Like, it all, like, trying to put trying to put someone in to, like, they have one coach or they just do this. You see, it's, it changes so much, mm-hmm. isn't it? Like, like, Bruce Kepka, he'll use Claude Harmon and Pete Cowan. Like... Mm-hmm. They'd just probably just bring two different, you know. Knowing Pete, Pete's very technical. He's one yeah. he's a very straight talking. Bang, you know. You just got to do this, you know. And and if it's rubbish, he'll tell you that. that and he will probably use swear words. You know, that's what that's how he rolls. <laughs> and you got yeah. and Claude will like, you know, Claude will be, you know, be with you and be on your side and be, you know, and mm. and be a bit more of an arm round and, you know, and yeah. like let's yeah, let's do yeah. this and yeah, you know, that part <laughs> of it, which also has its. Oh, that, that equaled him, him being number one, you know, like it's all that together.
0: Well, Claude, Claude coach Dustin, didn't he, to Masters win last week? Well, well, no, that's an interesting point you both raised there though. Is, and I'd be good to get
1: your thoughts on this Same, It seems like there is maybe more in the way of like joint ventures in, in coaching now than there was previously. So you mentioned there like a bit of Pete Cowan and a bit of Claude Harmon for Kepka And I know DJ, he's worked with Claude Harmon, but also, Alan Terrell, who I think was his college coach or his his junior mm-hmm. coach. Um how how do you see that Because I guess in the past maybe the conventional wisdom is it's like you need one coach, maybe you can have a separate short game coach or a separate putting coach, but you know, you can only have one. But as we're seeing more and more top players like Bryson and um Kepka and DJ who are who are maybe having, you know, multiple input on the long game as well, I mean, do you think that's that can work like long term? It's it's feasible.
2: Yeah, I've, like, like with all these things, like they have the, the there are certain pitfalls and dangers. Mm. But I think the I think the way well, well, first of all, I think that the the, the um, things that we want to work on and the the data is going to be the same. Yeah. So the, you maybe get in the way that someone's take on it on how to change the data may and their, their route to get there is different, but essentially the golf swing is being decoded. And how strike boards being decoded, so it all ends up in the same place now. And I think everyone more, often, I think there's more synergies in how people agree on how we should hit it. Mm-hmm. So there's not, you don't go from completely one side to the other now. Everyone kind of knows, yeah, this is pretty much how you do it. So there's just different deliveries more. Mm-hmm. There are there are minute differences, but it's mm-hmm. more a different delivery of it. They can translate it, and then also from my own perspective in this summit, which I had, I had like my one coach at the time. Um, when I had my on it didn't work out for me. Like in 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 retrospect, yes, I would. You would. Why would you not employ a specialist in terms of for putting, like you said, for mm. short game, for your for your? Why, why would like tennis has been here for ages, where you have a technical coach and you have a game coach, because because the fact of the matter is. I, um, I, I don't, yeah. I, like, for instance, I don't, um, I have a decent understanding of like, I'm get, I'm, I'm trying to learn more about 3D and different types of data and, you know, forces and so forth. I'm trying to learn that mm. there's always specialists doing it. Now, I'm more than happy to take one of my players. So, hey, Todd, for instance, Todd yeah. and I will both go along to, we've been, we've been along to see Mark Ball and Mark Ball is a, is a coach as well. And he gives him, you know, his readings and his data and he puts him all on the machines and he get, he's got his fancy, uh, fancy grass on the on the computer which mm. i haven't you know i'm not looking to become a biomechanist but there's a specialist mark that does it so we're going to trust what he says he's getting that info and then it's then my job to make it playable for todd yeah. to take that understanding and go like oh, that, all those grass, all this that and the other just make sure you just do that bit and then the rest It'll go okay. okay it's fine so you know and it's that ego that coat that is in the coaching world it's still there. And I've, that is one that is one part about becoming a coach which I've, I've been I don't know if it's good or bad or been disappointed by um is that there was it's been a lot of there, there was a lot of egos in golf we've had to deal with. As you go now, as I've gone on, um the better the coach, the less ego. I've, that's what I thought sort of, as a general comment. I've had more there's, I could I probably think of there's one coach, one top coach, who I think he seems to seems to have like a big ego and very touchy about anything if you if you question him on something. But but then as you go up, you know what it is. I think yeah. there's the guys that are more uh, established and they're a bit older. It's almost if they got to that point, they're like they rise
0: they, above up, it, right?
2: Yeah, they rise above it and there's no, no BS and they just give it to you straight and they know that you know and they understand um, that there is enough golfers to go around. So. Um, yeah, you got to kind of get over that pretty quickly. But
1: yeah, I guess the other, the great thing though, from like the way you're you're going about your coaching and building up, um, you know, the, the ZSA, the, your academy of young players, is balancing the the data side of things with also stuff like the Monday Club, where you're encouraging like more. Competition and mm. and play get out there and maybe play sort of simple games that are just kind of quite intuitive and and there's a good kind of compa- competitive edge and a bit of ribbing and um, is that you know I guess that's that uh, that's something that a lot of the guys love and it's going to encourage more juniors to play the game too.
2: Yeah, I mean that that is born out of uh, my upbringing to the game because because you know, because the game has gone so technical, so data driven, mm. and everyone's got you know their their opinions and different ways of doing things. And the bit that it's forgotten about is playing a game to, to compete and to perform under pressure. And that is sometimes the last thing that people would think about now. If you if you go online and you look at golf and social media, like the actual performing part of it is almost like the last thing someone even talks about. It's all well and yeah. good knowing all the ins and outs of how to swing and what how you should deliver the club and you should do this, this, and this and make this move and that move. But you know what? Some people can just do it. And they, and someone can do it on call, and it's a bit like watching all these PJ Tour events. Like these majors, they're not the same as they're great, they're fantastic, and love watching them. But the reason the reason that Tiger's so good is that he's been able to deal with the big crowds and the yeah. pressure, pressure situation, and uh, you know the the cameras and people in his face, and he's able to be able to step up and beat people and just do it time after time. There, there, there's a reason why some fantastic golfers. Have crumbled down the stretch, the first couple of times, and then and then and then found their way. It's because it's because they were dealing with the pressure. That's that's mm-hmm. what it was. I think if you put all the PGA Tour players into 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 an event into a, a Friday swindle at one of the fancy clubs in Florida, you get different winners all the time. Like it just yeah. it's just the way it goes. But if you put them all on the Sunday the Masters last group, massive crowds, or U.S. Open. There's, that's when the good players all rise out up and out of that yeah. um yeah, that cat that capture the players so yeah try like the monday club is born out of that like yeah that's because you know I, you see players which you look at on camera and you go this guy rips it and you look at his day he's like he's swinging at 700 miles per hour and he's hitting draws on call and there yeah, this guy's great and then you go boom right okay these are the challenges today uh we're gonna do we're gonna do this but do it on Insta live or we're going to, or this is the comp and Talia had just gone through and she'd just done this. And that, that same person, so, so it crumbles, right? And so it doesn't, doesn't work out, which is great. Cause it's exactly what you want to find out. Cause then you can yeah. start to work out. Why is he crumbled? What is it? And then you're able to help that part of it because it's all well and good standing on the range being able to rip it. But then why is it, why is this person not transferring it? And then you can hmm. find that out and then you go, well, when you do this, When you when you do your pre ship routine, how does it work? Well, I think about the bit, this bit, my swing I'm working on. Then I go over it, make sure I'm set up right, and I think about that, make sure I get that right. Okay, the first thing you should do in your pre ship routine is see exactly what shot you're trying to hit. There's an order Mm -hmm. to it. Like that's the first thing you do, because then everything else you do again goes towards making that happen. Don't do that on your last look up at the target. You know that's, but that's that's something that you can't necessarily see in a golf lesson watching someone just. Plastic signs out you need to put them under a bit of pressure uh, and in and the other part of it is fun it's you know yeah. someone gets a bit of buzz off of um, off of doing well someone you know someone throws their club down give them a bit of banter and dig them out about it or don't do it again you know it's um someone gets bragging rights it's it's good fun it makes you step up to the plate
0: i think that's i think it's good to put I mean, you need competition i find it you know Probably that's where, like, you know, talking to, to me and Bruce and probably me and Bruce slightly different in so much as I don't get as much enjoyment from just beating balls on a range and you can, mm-hmm. Bruce, you can get a bit more satisfaction perhaps, can't you, by just, no, you can by just working on mm-hmm. the puristics of the swing and whatnot. Um, I mean, we talked at the start of the pod, saying kind of mindful of your time and drawing to an end, but we, we started the pod talking about you as a junior and you obviously got a huge amount out of the game. Mm-hmm. Where you're at now in your career, do you still have the same love for the game? You still really enjoy playing. You still have that same burning passion.
2: Yeah, I mean, I love, uh, I uh, I love playing the game. Um, I love everything about it. But essentially, I, just, I still love playing it. I still, I still have a sh- I will still be in the shower in the mornings, thinking about a shot or something I'm trying to do, and still practice my right arm movement, thinking if I could just get that right. You know what I mean? I will I mean. still do that, like to this to this day. It's still that. That's how much it means to me. You know, i, I still think if I if if I didn't get paid for it, um, if I didn't get paid for it. If it wasn't my job, my career, would I get up in the morning and go want to go and play golf? For like 110. I would. I'd want to go and do that. And yeah. I think it's something that it. Yeah, it, it's great to it's, You know, I, I like I like to be competitive. Um, i've you know made money from playing golf but essentially i would do it whether it was no one around or whether i was getting paid to do it or not i would still Mm -hmm. want to go and play and there's something that helped me when i was a youngster um you know i I didn't go to a private school when like that and you know went to so my my friend didn't have that um maybe didn't have that passion in a hobby or something that i i had um and my group of friends, their what that they ended up would go their weekend would be going into going into Croydon or or you know, just filling time basically, which you, we all know if you're not occupied by something you end up getting in trouble or doing something you shouldn't do. Um but for me it was great because I just had golf to go to. Mm. You know, like my pals would say to me, What are you doing during the holidays? or Do you want to come you know, do you want to come into town on a Saturday morning or afternoon I would I'd look at them like, What? You talking about it's daylight there's golf to play you know we hit, we hit um, balls. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah you're mad aren't you and you know and also from a from my parents point of view it was like now being a being a dad that the best childcare ever like get dropped off at half eight in the morning in a place where you're pretty safe you're taught to not be a ramen and you <laughs> you know you get your fiver for your bowl of chips and your, your couple of cans of coke during the day and that's it and you're there and it will get dark. Uh, so half eight nine and you're gutted you've got to go home only to be back there the following morning um mm. you know and it is actually like it's, it's from a junior point of view it's actually a relatively cheap pastime it's crazy um, cheap yeah it's cheap, it's so cra- heavily
0: subsidized as well for kids
2: it's so heavily subsidized a junior membership is not very much um the, the one and it's you know all this chat of being elitist and that sort of stuff that's nonsense it's not elitist. Mm. It, you know, it, it's actually, it's actually, it's, it's elitist and it's, you know, very working class, you know, depending, mm. you can, it, there's a club out there that you can pick that suits you. If yeah. you want to, if you want to go to a club where you have to dress a certain way and everyone else dressed a certain way, you can choose that club. If you want to go to a club where you can go and have a hit round in jeans and, you know, play music or whatever, there is a club out there for you as a, you know, as a young student, as a junior, it's such a super cheap pastime. If you know, if you can find, if if mm-hmm. you can find the right place, I think for that, that, I think making golf a bit more accessible is the big that is that is the big thing that could be changed right now, and that for me is going to come from the governing bodies. I think they don't mm-hmm. do enough. Um, like I'm happy to to spout it and say that's the case because I you know I kind of I've lived the good side of it and what it's done for me. Um, you know, I've, and not to get too deep, but you know I've had people that i grew up with that i went to school with um you know there was that are not with us anymore you know because they you know they went down a, down a road which wasn't you know took down into a bad place mm. i didn't have to go down that way because i've got to go and play golf like for instance like drugs was never issued never an issue to me because i was at the golf course like that was that yeah. and that then i had a focus on something i wanted to do and it put me in you know in a good place and i got to meet some really nice and good people you know, so it took me away from a lot of troubles that I probably probably could have found. I, w- I would never know, you know, happily. I never know that now. You know, and I know that as a, you know, as a as a father, I would happily have uh, uh, my son Roman go into um, go into golf because I know that, you know, it's a good place to be. Like, it, it, is, think- it is literally life-changing in that respect.
0: Why do you think that is the same? Because like you say, we're all products of junior golf and we know how good it is. And then we know that golf suffers with its image and bring in... You know, people from all backgrounds and from all from all walks of life into into the game. Like, why is that? Why do we? Why is it still not right? Even though it's such a great game and it's so cheap. And, and it, you know, like you say, at, at a club level for juniors.
1: Well, I think we've made progress in some sense. Would you, would that be fair? Would that be fair to say? Like, as you were saying, there, Zane, you can find you can. There's, a, there's a, probably a broader range of clubs on offer now than there were. When, you know when you were talking about growing up and not being able to join a club until the age of 14 in your local area and the kind of you know sort of suit and tie get up you have to go through when you're 11 years yeah. old i mean think that aspect at least has gotten better
2: yeah it's, it's definitely it's improved it's all there yeah. it just needs to like it, it needs a push now um like it needs to be accessible for everybody and yeah. it is still it's still catered it is essentially majority still catered for like the middle aged white guy, right? Yeah. Which have every right to golf, but they have the, the same amount of right to golf as lady golfers, as junior golfers, as you know, black, uh, black golfers, as Asian golfers. You know, all these everyone has, has the same right to golf in that respect. Mm. It's just it's still just set up just for that demographic. Which is, I'm not saying that, that that's a bad thing, it just needs to be you need. You, to be able to understand that people have different views or come from different cultures and mm. that's, that's okay. Like the whole dress thing for me is, is massive, like I don't understand, um, understand that in in some instances, there's going to be some clubs that you've got to dress a certain way. But mm. I mean, even at my, um, I was practicing recently. I was, I was hitting balls. I had my hat on backwards. Sometimes I wear it backwards. I was on, I was on a practice yeah. ground. I wasn't playing a tournament. I, was, I had my hat on backwards. And uh, and the guy comes up. oh, can you turn your hat round? Like it's not even the club rule. But and I'm thinking, oh well, I'm about to get into. Am I about to get into an argument with this geezer about how I'm wearing my hat? Mm. Like we're in a pandemic, and I'm fuss about do I wear it forwards or backwards? You know, yeah, <laughs> or
0: yeah. whatever.
2: And it's it, it's it's mental. And I'm thinking, well, I'm like la- I'm thinking I, f- I feel a bit. Uh, he's walked off. I've ended up like not want to have an argument with the geezer because so, you know I want to be respectful. We have got really respectful of the mm. rules. But I'm thinking, is that a rule? Is it not a rule? I don't know. So I'm not going to do it. As I've turned out, have I found out since? It's not even a rule. And, yeah. um, but then you know, I'm thinking, what I want to go now. Like, do I want to practice? Like, okay, I'm so I'm kind of dealing with it going, okay, whatever. Forget that geezer. But yeah. I'm, you know, I'm a 38 year old professional golfer has been playing golf for 25 years. Had I been, had I been like a 14 year old lad, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. 14 year old black kid. Who's yeah. going up to the golf club. He's the only black kid there thinking, okay, this is new and then get some guy comes up to turn a hat round never play golf again
0: never going to go are
2: you no no nah, like what's 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 the issue what's the issue there you know
0: yeah i mean we
1: had a, a we've you know recently um did a tour to scotland and and it's yeah it's interesting on that point cuz like however trivial this sounds um it, again it's another example of of something that just like isn't a great experience when we rocked up to to one course in scotland um and you know we were making pretty good time on our round but for people to come up and say you got to play quickly like you you know you're playing too slowly and in the end like we played a, a, a 18 holes in three hours and it's like well, that's fine but yeah. like if you're already we're on hole three and you're already like having a go at us for like pace of play and we've made like really good time or whatever yeah it's just it's just things like that i think as you say we're all okay with it because we've we've played the golf that we've played the game for long enough but as a junior golfer, like if that was your first experience with someone having a go about you for the way you're dressing or I don't know, you know, how long you take there It just yeah. seems the, the thing that golf's really struggling with is like some competing views on like how it should be played. And as you say, I think, like one of the strengths of the game is, is that it can cater for different audiences, people who want to be a member of a traditional club where you can only play in two balls and you've got to play a sort of two hour 50 round and you've got to have lunch in a jacket and tie and that's fine. Um, but you, you've also got to have clubs where you can wear a hoodies and backwards caps and jeans and, and, mm. you know, allow people to take over four hours or whatever to, to play a game and, and have fun with their mates yeah. on the weekend. It's, I think that's, that's the issue, isn't
2: it? The clubs, the clubs are there. I just think the governing body is yeah. not doing enough. Like, yeah. but I, it amazes me that the PGA don't more don't do more than they do. They have got loads of um, kind of budding and trainee assistants coming through. Now that so like it should be part of their curriculum to to go and take it to to places which are don't have access to golf. It should be yeah. it should be part of your training. You have to go and do that. It's not yeah. hard, um, you know, and that should that should be at the forefront, you know. I think the RNA are doing quite quite a lot to do with it, but you know, and then it comes down to the head pros and the attitude of it, you know, of that acceptance. It's got to come through more, like, like going to a yeah. golf club now is still um, at many golf clubs. It's it's still that element of like, what are you doing here? Yeah, you don't. Clubs you don't just aren't progressive,
0: are they? They're just not. I think clubs drive. The clubs are really such a big force in the game because they ultimately set down the rules and the parameters the way you can behave mm. when you're there. And clubs mm. just aren't forward thinking. Even the great clubs that are great to be at, they're still not. You know, not nothing to like ranking or status, just whether they're enjoyable or not. They're not always progressive. And
2: yeah, yeah, exactly. Some of the, yeah. You
0: know, and some of the lesser ones are even more progressive. Yeah. And, it's, and it's like. I, don't, I very rarely come away from a golf club and think bloody how that place has really got their head screwed on to where this game's going to be at in 10 years time. I've never once yeah. driven a, away and thought <laughs> it's amazing that they literally know where this game's going in 15 years.
2: Yeah. And that's what mm. a
0: good golf club should be doing. And, I think yeah. some of them have got it right in the States. You know, they're looking at kind of community nine-hole golf courses. They're looking at places in city centers. There's places that are maintained by kind of artisans in, you know, rough neighborhoods where someone's managed to fashion a six-hole course and it only can only work for eight months of the year because of the agronomy or whatever. And maybe we just need a few... I don't know, bright, innovative souls in communities that are going to make these things happen? Because it seems like the the 18-hole, you know, Harry Colt courses that are private members clubs, just that are run by committee, they're just not getting through to the audience that I think golf probably needs to get through yeah.
2: to. Yeah, I agree. I, I, and that's, you know, I, I think that you could... It's probably we probably know it's not realistic that the golf committees are going to change anywhere in the near future. Cause you know,
0: cause
2: no gold committees, it just, just the way it is. I think that the, the, the PGA for instance, that, that could be something that could change because they could, they could put that out that derivative to all their head professionals. And then they could actually make change because the head professional is someone who's there every day and actually, you know, is able to put that message into, into the mm-hmm. committee, into the golf club. And also, you know, welcome people in, into the game and have an attitude, because I think having, I think the, the golf course are there. Facilities are there. Um, you know, the plans are there to be able to have, I could say a cheap junior membership, for instance, but it's the attitude that if we could get, because the attitude still is that golf's an elitist sport. Like, like mm. we need to change that attitude. And that's got to come, that has to come from the government bodies. It's got to be made more welcoming. Um yeah. for that that that's change really. So, and it is changing. I mean, uh, I mean, with the, You know, 23 years ago, you know, like, like for instance, I don't think there's enough black golfers to play golf,
0: Mm.
2: especially, and then as you go up to the tours, there's not enough.
0: And at any level, Mm. I think.
2: 23 years ago, um, it was the same conversation. Um, But then Tiger Woods came on the scene and it was like, there we go. He's good. We've got a black guy. He's top of the world. We're we're finished. And 23 years on, it's like, we're still running off the back of him. Mm, It's a way for him, like, there should, more needs to happen. And obviously, it's an attitude. All the facilities there, it's great. You know, there's loads of courses in the UK, all different price ranges. You know, if you want to spend loads of money, like, more money, you can, as much money to buy a house, you can go and do it and get looked after a certain way. If you want to spend a tiny bit of money and do it like this, you can go and do it. You can find it. So we just got, if we can change the attitude towards it, make people realize, you know what? It's fine. If If this is what you want to do, this is where you go. Then, um, then it can change but it's got to be the attitude
0: and you're saying yeah. sp- specifically you're saying that you know in the uk pga coaches as their whether it's through their accreditation or whether it's just part of their ongoing franchise they should essentially be you know kind of part of their contract is that they provide you know either heavily subsidized or free lessons to you know people who want to join and begin the game you know yeah, I mean, with, with a view to doing it in communities where you know participation is pretty low perhaps Hundred and ten percent,
2: like that. I'm sure they're trying to do something. Unless that there are small details that why why they mm. do and don't do it in certain areas. I just think it's like the general attitude of it. I think um, if it could just be more welcoming, a bit happier, a bit more fun, uh, that would do, that would really, really, really help. And it, I, but it's got to come. It's got to come from up there. I think you know, we mm. we, we us three can sit here and say it's all a great idea, but we're going to reach a, a minute, a, you know, a minute amount of people, aren't we? We need needs yeah. to come from no, we have about half a dozen guys.
0: listeners to this podcast. You usually get half a dozen a week. So um <laughs> Tell you
2: what, we've got to pretty strong, strong listener numbers. Could, no, exactly. We, we could do a, this.
0: And they're bloody heavy hitting listeners we've got as well. We've got an influential <laughs> and fairly sticky listener base. So
2: exactly. on
0: that note
1: um, <laughs> Yeah. On that note, um, well, and, and just to, to round it off, I think one tiny little positive that maybe has come out of this pandemic is that it seems that golf participation is up probably because, you know, it's one of the few sports that can be played safely or has some kind of social distancing in, built in. But as you say, Zane, like it, it, yeah, there are definitely some, some steps we can take and, um, certainly the governing bodies can take, I think, to, uh, to, to move things on. But, um, yeah, thanks for being so, Generous with your time. Um it's been fantastic having you on and and covering such a huge range of subjects. Um so yeah, look forward to to catching up again soon, hopefully.
2: I really enjoyed it guys. Really enjoyed it. It's been really good to chat.
0: This